morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. There we go. Good to be with you here this morning. Again, we want to welcome Amber again. Where'd she go to? Oh, there she is. want to welcome Amber again as the newest member of the University Seventh-day Adventist Church. She just had her membership transferred and voted in, so we welcome her and, of course, Jason as well. And uh, if you are visiting and you feel like, you know what, I feel pretty comfortable in this church and I'm starting to feel like I got friends and I got family connections, then we welcome you also to, if you're not baptized, to inquire of baptism or if you are looking to transfer your membership, talk to our church clerk, Sophie. I'm going to embarrass her. Sophie, would you raise your hand there? And we'd love for you to officially become part of our church family. Today we're going to be talking about the richness of Christ's sacrifice. And if you have been coming to church from January until now, you understand and know that our church has been going through the Bible reading plan. We're, we're reading through the Bible together, and each week the sermons are based on the reading of that week, or a portion of the reading of that week. This week, if you've been following your scripture reading plan, we have been going through the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus and the sacrificial system. So today's message is going to be based on that. So let us begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into the richness of Christ's sacrifice. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing upon the word that will be spoken and preached. I pray, Lord, that it will be relevant and true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Let's begin again with this beautiful verse found in John chapter 12, verse 32. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw. That's the power word for me in that verse. I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. Now to this morning, I want to show you something else that has drawn people, that has drawn people to it has drawn the king of France, has drawn the king of England, has drawn American tycoons, has drawn British bankers who have all owned it. This has been one of the most famous jewels in the world called the Hope Diamond. It has drawn many people to it because of its grandeur and beauty. You know, Valentine's Day just passed, February 14, and maybe some of you received some advertisement in the mail, or, or maybe saw something on TV, and people were trying to convince men to buy diamonds for, for their wives or sweethearts or so forth. And, and, and you see the size of the diamonds, right? You could get, you know, five carats for this much, and you're like, wow, five carats, that's pretty big. Well, the Hope Diamond is actually 45 carats. It's a large diamond that is worth today 200 to 250 million dollars. One of the most famous, famous diamonds in the world that today is in the Smithsonian Institute. Now, the interesting thing about the Hope Diamond is that when you look at it, it's beautiful, it's blue. And it has an interesting color that most diamonds don't have. And, and people could admire it from afar. But when you get closer, if you take the time, you go to the Smithsonian Institute, and you come close to that diamond, you discover that you cannot really see the full beauty of the Hope Diamond when you only look at it from one direction. 
If you really want to see the full beauty of the Hope Diamond, you kind of have to move from side to side and see the reflection of the light hitting different angles. And as you do that, you will see the complete beauty of the Hope Diamond. And when I was thinking about that, that reminded me that when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when it comes to what he's done on the cross, it is also a multifaceted magnificence. It can't only be looked at from one direction. To see the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, it also has to be looked at from different directions. And so that's why Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, the different kinds of animal sacrifices make sense to me. There could only have been one sacrifice, but Jesus, God through the Holy Spirit, inspired men to write all these different sacrifices because I believe just like the Hope Diamond, there was not one sacrifice that could truly tell the beauty and the fullness of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He had to have many sacrifices, so when you see the complete picture, you go, wow, he did all that for me? That's beautiful. All the sacrifices pointed to Jesus in the book of Leviticus. We know that when John the Baptist saw Jesus on the side of that Jordan River, he said, when he looked upon him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pointing back to the Levitical system. And we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, when comparing the sacrifice of Jesus to the sacrifice in the Old Testament, it says this, Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. And it continues saying, But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, so that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 25 to 28. And so that's why I'm excited about the book of Leviticus, because the book of Leviticus is packed. It is packed with information of Christ's sacrifice. But when have you really gone to the book of Leviticus to get the beauty of the cross? Tell the truth. You've neglected the book of Leviticus. You probably said, it's kind of boring. I don't get it. Well, one excuse that people use for neglecting to read the sacrificial systems is they say, you know what, Pastor? Why am I going to look at that when I could go look at the real thing? Have you heard of that before? Why am I going to look at those animal sacrifices if I could just go to the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see the real thing, see Jesus on the cross? But if you do that, friends, if you skip out reading the book of Leviticus and the sacrificial system, you miss out so much in understanding what you're looking at when you see the cross in the New Testament. Let me put it this way. Do we have any, any physicians here? Any, any doctors any nurses? Any nurses here? Okay. I'm a nurse. I could raise my hand. You know, when I was training to be a nurse, the first day of nursing school, they didn't put me with a patient. They didn't, right? And if you are a doctor, the first day of training, they didn't put you with a patient. What did you do for years before, before they felt comfortable enough to give you a license to say, hey, go take care of a person? 
You went through the books. You study the diagrams. You study the human body. You study how it works. You study the disease process. You studied how the medication works and what to do. And finally then, you were able to go to the human body because now you understood what you were looking at and what you were dealing with because you had studied from the book what it meant. And that's what it means when we look at the book of Leviticus. We could go to the New Testament and say, wow, Jesus isn't on the cross. But if you really want to understand what you're looking at, if you want to see the richness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have to go back to the book of Leviticus and see what it teaches us about what Jesus did on the cross. And thus, you will see the multifaceted beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, other people have an excuse and they say, the reason I don't go to the book of Leviticus in the sacrificial system is because some modern readers are turned off by all the blood and gore. How many of you don't like blood? Okay. Some of you don't like blood. Some of you can't be maybe in the medical field because you pass out on the side of blood, maybe your own blood. But let me tell you, friends, you know, animal sacrifices are distressing. And they're distressing even for me because I like animals. In fact, my wife just got a cat yesterday. And I really like animals. I keep telling myself that, right? And... You know, when we think about the animal sacrificial system, we think, oh, well, poor animals, and, and I don't like all that blood and gore. But we have to remember that God is more loving and sensitive than you are. You think that if it hurts you to see all those animals sacrificed, it doesn't hurt him more? <laughs> because we understand that Jesus cares even about the most smallest of creatures. It says in Luke chapter 12, in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. So he cares about the animals too. But we also have to understand that sin is super serious. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So to wake up people, to really wake up people to the long-ranging consequences of sin, and so that they might be saved, God was willing to use a means like sacrifices that they were in the short run drastic or even painful, but through these animal sacrifices, the Israelites were to experience what Christ was going to do for them. And so we learn that the sacrifices pointed to what Jesus did. John chapter 17 verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What Christ did on the cross was glorious. It, it was glorious, even more glorious than the Hope Diamond. In fact, what Jesus did on the cross was so glorious that it makes the glory of the Hope Diamond look like a worthless pebble. 
but to really appreciate what he did on the cross, we must go to the Old Testament so that we are able to see the full picture of what Jesus did on the cross. So that's what we're doing this morning, okay? We're going to go to the animal sacrifices in the book of Leviticus so that you could get a beautiful, full picture of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, when you go to the book of Leviticus, you find that there's five offerings or five sacrifices. And really, the way you differentiate between all these offerings, other than what they're called, is the difference between how the sacrifices appeared in connection with the treatment of the blood and flesh. To simply put, the differentiation was, what did they do with the blood of the animal, and what did they do with the body of the animal? And that's what separated, really, the sacrifices. I always like diagrams. I'm not sure if you're a diagram person, but they, they, they make sense to me. And so I wanted to just put that up there so you understand, so you could get a, a, a view of the offerings. So there are the five offerings in Leviticus chapter 1 all the way to Leviticus chapter 5. We have the first offering, which is the burnt offering, the burnt offering. And there we have what happens to the blood. The blood is kind of poured on the side of the altar, on the floor, you could say. And what is done with the flesh? Well, all the flesh was given to the Lord. It was completely consumed. In Leviticus 2, we have the grain offering. And of course, with grain, there's no blood and there's no flesh. And so you don't have to deal with that. The third one is the peace offering. And the blood was put on the side of the altars as well, on the bottom, on the floor. And here, interestingly enough, the flesh was eaten by the priest and the person who offered the peace offering. Then we have the sin offering, where we have the blood not thrown on the sides of the altars, but actually put at the highest point of the altar, at the horns. And this was only for the priest to eat of the meat. And the trespass offering was put on the sides, and the priest ate it. So that's kind of a, a quick look summary of the offering. So let's go and look at the first one, which is the burnt offering. We look at the burnt offering, and let's understand what is meant by this. Let's read quickly. It says, If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish, and he shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. There's a purpose of the sacrifice. There's where it's pointing to Jesus. That's where you become at one with Jesus, with God through Jesus. So there is the purpose of the sacrifice. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, and the priests Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. There we go. It's sprinkled on the floor. But what about the meat? What about the body of the animal? And the priest shall burn how much? All on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire. And listen to that, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the, the burnt offering would come up as smoke in the air and that would be a sweet aroma to the Lord. So we read here that the Bible's telling us that when they brought this offering, a burnt offering, it was completely consumed by the fire. It was completely eaten up. Nothing was left of the sacrifice. And you know, when I was thinking about this, this made me think 
about what Jesus went through, and it made me realize that Christ's work of mercy completely consumed him. As that offer brought the animals, and the animals all represented Jesus, what did it mean when that animal was completely consumed? That the work of Christ saving you completely consumed him. Did you know that Jesus was going through such agony in the Garden of Gethsemane that his insides were literally disintegrating? He was bleeding, he was, he was sweating blood, and when they stabbed him with a spear on the cross, water and blood came out. It was such an agony. It was a total consumption of his whole being, what he was doing for you on the cross. And the Hebrew word for burnt offering also means ascending. And so the second phase of this sacrifice is not only that Jesus was completely consumed for you, but also that his sacrifice had to be accepted by the Father as represented by the aroma going up into the air. As you remember, after the cross, after Jesus gave all of himself, he was resurrected, and the first person who met him on Resurrection Sunday was who? Was Mary. And what did he tell Mary? He said, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. I have not yet been, uh, my sacrifice has not been accepted yet. It's not a sweet aroma. And if you remember the story in the Old Testament, there's also a story in the Old Testament of Manoah's sacrifice that kind of symbolized this sacrifice of Jesus in the future as represented by the sacrifice. In Judges chapter 13, verse 20, it says, It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And what did they say? When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. So not only was this sacrifice representing the sacrifice of Jesus, but also this story that he would be completely consumed in the act of saving you and that his sacrifice would be a sweet aroma to God. It would be acceptable to God the Father because he was happy at the work of salvation that God had done for us. So simply put it, in the burnt offerings all the flesh was consumed, pointing to Christ completely consuming himself to save us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 27 puts it simply, he offered up himself. That's the simplest way I could put it. He gave all of himself to us. Now what does that mean? Listen to what dangers and risks Jesus went to to save us. It says, in the book, Desire of Ages, page 753, Satan, with fierce temptations, wrung the heart of Jesus. Listen to these words. I, it's hard to understand, to comprehend. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave a conqueror, or to tell him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God 
that their separation was to be what? Wow. He was willing to give it all to save you, even being eternally separated from the Father. Christ felt the anguish which sinners will feel when mercy shall no longer plead for the guilty race. It was a sense of sin bringing the Father's wrath upon him as man's substitute that made the cup he drank so bitter and broke the heart of the Son of God. So when, when someone brought that sacrifice of burnt offering and saw it completely consumed, it pointed forward to a time now when we could look back and say, Jesus gave it all for us. He gave his complete self for us. He held nothing back to save you. And he's holding nothing back to save you. Completely consumed. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Wow, what a beautiful picture. But let's move on to the, to the next one. The next one that we have is the grain offering. The grain offering, the Bible tells us in Leviticus uh, chapter 2, as we see, had no blood and no flesh because it is a, it's a grain, not an animal. It says, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offerings shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Do you guys know what frankincense is? It produces a, a very nice smell when it's also burned up or consumed. It says, he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take it from his hand, uh, handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So, and the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So there is no blood here. There is no, there is no meat. It's a sacrifice of the basic food that the Israelites would eat every day. It's, it's their common food that they ate. And it says here that the grain was the basic food for the ancient Israelites. It was their form of sustenance. It's how they stayed alive. So how did that point to the sacrifice of Jesus? Well, if it was their daily sustenance, what kept them alive, we can make the connection that Christ gives his life as a way to keep us alive. Not just in this life, but for eternal life. And I love how it is symbolized by all the little details of the fine flour and the no leaven and the frankincense and the oil. Symbolically, this offering speaks of the moral perfection of the life of the Savior. It was fine flour. It didn't have any leaven, which represents sin. It was also with frankincense, so that when it was consumed, it was fragrant to God. And it was filled with the Holy Ghost because it was mixed with, with oil. And so an Israelite would bring the grain offering to the Lord. Now, an interesting thing in Leviticus chapter 2 is that you had the option of just bringing the grain, but you also had the option of bringing a baked bread to the Lord as well. So if you like cooking, instead of just bringing the grain, you could have baked some bread and also brought it to the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that, that the Israelites would actually cook, they would bake, they would make these delicious cakes, and then they would bring that to the Lord as an offering to the Lord. 
Now, that totally connected with me as I read the New Testament. Because if the Israelites were, were used to bringing bread, cakes, you could say, as an offering to the Lord, and then in the New Testament, Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. He's not catching them like, what are you talking about? Like, I've never heard of this. They knew exactly what he was talking about because it was that bread of sacrifice that they were bringing to the sanctuary. They were used to giving that grain offering. And so when Jesus says, and as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it and said, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He is teaching just like the grain offering, that we must partake of Christ's life-giving power that gives spiritual life that transforms us. You see how you can't look at all the offerings without catching a full picture of what Jesus is doing for us. He is completely consumed for us, but he is also giving his life to give us life as a grain offering. All right, let's go to the third one. The third one is called the peace offering. And we find that the blood is put on the sides of the altar. And this one is unique from all the other ones because here the priest and the offer and God partake of the meat. It says the breasts and thighs were allotted by God to the priest and their commission and the person who brought the offering could eat the rest of it. So the question we have is, unlike other kinds of sacrifices, a peace offering was partly eaten by the person who offered it. So the question is, what is the meaning of eating part of your own offering? What does it mean when you eat the offering that you brought? And we find that when all these sacrifices represent Jesus, that it points us back to the lessons of what Jesus said in the New Testament. Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last days. So how do you partake of Christ? Because in those days, you actually partook of the meat. But how do you partake of Christ in this way? Well, the Bible is very clear in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is through the Holy Spirit by faith that we receive this. So the Israelites went and offered the sacrifice in aid of it. We go by faith to the cross and partake of Jesus by accepting his sacrifice and he gives us his Holy Spirit. So the kind of offering foreshadowed the benefit of Christ's life for those who accept it into their own lives. Who accept it into their own lives. But uh, the more interesting thing about this sacrifice is that the sacrifice was given to God who consumed it, who was burned up, but also the person who was giving the sacrifice ate it. So in a way, they were actually eating together. They were having a, a meal together. 
Now, in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, you don't eat, you didn't eat with your enemies. Like, you wouldn't sit down and have a meal with your enemies. In fact, you go to the Middle East, that's still the practice, you know? Actually, that's probably the practice here too, I would say. If you're not getting along with someone, if you consider someone your enemy, one of the last things you want to do with them is go out to, to eat, right? When there's problems, you don't eat together with those people. So when we see the person offering that sacrifice, eating together with God in a sense, we discover that it is through the sacrifice that there's peace. And thus, that's how we know that this uh, verse has come true in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can come and bring the sacrifice of Jesus and sit down with God the Father and have peace through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Coming to the end here, we have the next one, which is the sin offering. It was put, the blood was put on the horns of the altar, and it was only eaten by the priest. So all the other offerings, the blood was put on the side of the altar. But in this sacrifice, the blood of the animal was taken to the highest point, which was the horns, the altar. So just in a physical, visual sense, what is that meaning? It's meaning simply that the blood is elevated in importance. It's saying, hey, look, look at the blood. This sacrifice, I really want you to concentrate on the blood because that's what's important in this sacrifice. So what does blood in the Bible represent? It represents a ransom for life. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the for the soul. So the life was in the blood, and the animal's life was shed for your life, and this pointed to the future substitution of Christ's life for your life. So when we look at the blood on the horn, we recognize that it was shed for us, and it's pointing to the blood of Jesus that is a substitution for our life. That blood is the only blood that can do that. So, look at it. Only the blood of Jesus. Have you guys ever donated blood before? Have you done a, a blood bank and gone there? Uh, I've always found it very important to do it. You would be surprised that many times hospitals run out of blood. People come out bleeding out and, and they don't have enough certain kind of blood. And I remember one day in high school, it was the first time that I was giving blood in my life and I decided that I was going to go with my friends, and we're all going to give blood. And they line you up, and before you give blood, they actually ask you a couple of questions. They ask you a little bit of medical history, a little background, and then they ask you if you've traveled anywhere outside the United States. And so as my friends were giving blood, the person who interviewed me said, I'm sorry, but you cannot give blood. Why? Because you traveled to Guatemala was the country I traveled to. And apparently I could have picked up something in my blood. 
Now, for a young teenager, seeing all his friends giving blood and being told that you can't give blood, you know the sense that I got? I was, the sense I got was, you're not good enough. Your blood is not as good as their blood. Oh, I felt so terrible. And I waited until the date passed where I could give blood. And I went forward and I said, I'm giving blood. And they allowed me to give blood because I wanted to get rid of that sense, your blood is not good enough. But in this sense, it's true, right? No other blood was good enough. No other blood could do what the blood of Jesus has done for you. No other death, no other sacrifice, and that's why it's elevated to the top of the altar of the horns, because the focus is on the blood, which is the life of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. First Peter chapter uh, 1 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spots. And so only the blood of Jesus could be accepted for our life. Thus, it is elevated in the sacrifice and it should be elevated in your life. It should be important for you. Finally, we get to the last one. It's called the trespass offering, also commonly known as the guilt offering. Now, this last offering is really beautiful because it shows us that we can give our guilt feelings to Christ. Did you know that there's many people in the world and even in our churches that are plagued by guilt and they don't know why they feel guilty? They have this feeling that eats away at them, that there's something just not right between them and God. And, and they read the Bible more, and they go to church, and they study, but they have a sense that something's not right between them and God, and there's this guilt that is just above them and, and on them. Well, Leviticus chapter 5 tells us of a sacrifice that was given to deal with this specific problem. It says, if any of you sin without knowing it. In other words, you feel guilty, but you don't know why. It says, you shall bring to a priest a ram, and the priest shall make atonement on your behalf for the error that you have committed unintentionally, and you shall be what? Forgiven. And so God doesn't want us to live with this guilt. He doesn't want for us to go around feeling a sense of desperation and distance from him. He says, even if you don't know why that's happening in your spiritual life, just come in the name of Jesus, and claim forgiveness for whatever is bothering you, even though you can't specifically think of something, and the grace of God will cover you. Because we're saved by faith, faith through grace, by grace through faith, we're not saved by memory. You know, I can't remember why I feel so guilty. And as the Holy Spirit brings things to your remembrance, then you confess them, but don't live with that guilt. You know, there is something called phantom pain. Have you heard of phantom pain before? There is amputees who after they have a leg or arm cut off, they still feel like there's pain in the hand or the foot that doesn't exist. And they feel like it really still is there. And there was a man who had problems with his legs and the doctors were begging him to please we need to amputate it. it's getting worse and he refused and he refused till finally he gave in and he said doctor cut it off 
And so they cut it off, but he asked the doctor, what are you going to do with that leg? What are you going to do with that leg? They said, well, usually we just incinerate the leg. You know, we get rid of it. He said, no, no, no. Please preserve the leg in a large jar for me. And I'm going to put it up on my mantle because I want to look at that leg that's given me so much problem and tell it, ha, I got the last word. But you know what? That leg got the last word. Because as he had that leg up on the mantle, the leg was still causing him pain, phantom pain. And he was in agony, even though he didn't have that leg, as if there was a leg, he felt pain where the leg used to be. You know, there's also something called phantom guilt, where you have confessed your sins, where you've done away with them, but you still feel like there's something wrong there. And you thought you have overcome, but you're still being overcome by that phantom guilt. And Jesus Christ through the sacrifice is saying, bring that ram that represents Jesus Christ, and in his name, ask forgiveness for whatever guilt you're feeling, whatever separation you're feeling, and God will deal with it. And he does. Do you have guilt? Get rid of it this morning. And so we see that the Bible tells us very clearly that all these sacrifices put together give us a balanced view of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I have barely even touched the surface. I could spend a whole sermon just on one of those sacrifices and and go really deep. But what I'm trying to give you is a taste, a taste. Get into the Old Testament. Get into the sacrifices. Get into those things that point to Jesus because if you will do, you have a richer and deeper understanding of what you're looking at on the cross of Jesus. If not, If we do not do this, then we will become like the blind men of Hindu. Do you remember that? It says, It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp, to me it's mighty clear, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk with his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quote, he said, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain. It's clear enough the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chance to touch the ear, said, even the blindest man can tell what this resembles the most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The six no sooner had begun about the beast to grope, that seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope, I see, quote, he said, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceedingly stiff and strong. Though each was partly in right, all were in wrong. Even though they were all right, in a sense they were all wrong because they were only seeing a part 
of the whole. And when we look at Jesus just from one angle and the sacrifice, we don't understand the full picture of what he's trying to represent of what he did for us. And so we need to look at all the sacrifices that paint to us all of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do for us in the future. And when you see that, you will be drawn to Jesus as he promises, when I am lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. You will be drawn to him more than men and king and women have been drawn to the hope diamond. And so the work of this humble preacher is just to put up the glory of the cross and say, check it out. Isn't that nice? Isn't that beautiful? Even if it involves animals and gore and blood, Jesus is trying to teach you of what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross, something that you can accept this very day. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this moment because whenever we talk about Jesus and the cross, we have to recognize that he came to die for our sins. And that's a serious thing that he did, but we have to accept it. He died for all, but not all will be saved. So I don't want to pass a moment because there might be someone with guilt here. There might be someone with shame here. There might be someone who maybe doesn't feel that they are saved or have a saving relationship with Jesus. And what a tragedy, travesty to paint a picture of the cross and not invite you to the cross. And so this morning... If that is you, if you have sins that are burdening you, if you have guilt, if you have separation, but today you want to come to the cross and say, Jesus, cover me completely. Forgive me. If that is your desire this morning, I invite you to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I need all of those sacrifices. I need everything that they represent in my life. I need you this very moment by faith I come to the cross in the name of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, you see the hands that are lifted. And just like the ancient Israelites by faith brought those sacrifices to you, thus we bring your son, Jesus Christ, by faith and accept his blood covering our sins. All these hands here, Lord, I pray that you would make that a reality in their life. And they would leave church this afternoon with hope, with gladness, with joy that they can have assurance of salvation today and going forward. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all say, amen. amen. Friends, we encourage you to keep reading our Bible reading plan. There's exciting things there, things you maybe haven't read in a long time. At this time, we invite you to stand for our closing hymn. Okay, our closing hymn is hymn number 305. Let us stand. Thank you. Let us stand and sing, Give Me Ch